Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Our passage this morning comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verses 27 through chapter 2, verse 3. Listen for what God is saying to you this morning. God created humanity in God's own image. In the divine image, God created them. Male and female, God created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fertile and multiply. Fill the earth and master it. Take charge of the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and everything crawling on the ground. Then God said, I now give to you all the plants on the earth that yield seeds, and all the trees whose fruit, whose fruit produces its seed with it, seeds within it, these will be your food. To all wildlife, to all the birds in the sky, and to everything crawling on the ground, to everything that breathes, I give all the green grasses for food. And that's what happened. God saw everything God had made. It was supremely good. There was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. The heavens and the earth and all who live in them were completed. On the sixth day, God completed all the work that God had done. And on the seventh day, God rested from all the work that God had done. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all the work of creation. May God add a blessing to the hearing and understanding of these words. Let's pray. God, we invite you into the space of our hearts and minds this morning, whether it's uh, been a long morning or we've just rolled out of bed, um, but we are here. And so meet us here. Help us to grow and know and live more fully into um, that vision that you have created us to be part of, that vision that we think about, um, especially on Sunday, but throughout our week, and the question that we have of where we fit into all of it. Thank you for calling us partner. Thank you for calling us child. Thank you for calling us supremely good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, in about a week, less than a week, six days actually, um, I will have the honor of officiating the wedding of two lovely newly minted UVC members, Felix Huang and Josh Lau. Um, so excited about that. I did not warn them that I would be uh, giving them a shout out. Um, and while that's cool enough in and of itself, uh, the location of their wedding is also pretty cool. Um, it's going to be held at a place called Iron Street Farms. Um, it's an urban farm located in Bridgeport, and UVC has actually had a relationship with Iron Street Farms in the past, um, helping with some of the various aspects, aspects of upkeep and seasonal planting. And in fact, I think that this is probably how uh, Josh and Felix came to know about um, the farm. 
And I hope that we will, under Josh's leadership, uh, begin to have an opportunity to be involved again. Hint, hint. Um, but so anyway, one of the cool things about this farm, uh, the last time Rich and I went, which was several years ago, um, is that they have this thing called aquaponics. Let's say it together. Aquaponics. Um, aquaponics is the method of growing crops and fish together in a recirculating system. So this is how it works. Um, using gravity, water is drained from a fish tank into a gravel bed um, where bacteria break down the fish waste to nitrogen, uh, nitrite and nitrogen, nitrogen, which is a key nutri nutrient for plant development. So on the gravel bed, they also use um, watercress, which is a, a vegetable, um, as a secondary means of filtration. And then the filtered water is pumped into the, um, from the gravel bed into the growing beds, uh, where they grow things like specialty salad greens and tomatoes. And the water is wicked up to the crop roots with the help of core, which is a um, coconut, like that hair that's on the outside of a, of a coconut shell. Um, and it's a sustainable replacement for peat moss. So, and then at the end of it all, the water flows from the growing beds back into the tank of fish, and the whole cycle starts over. There's hardly any waste. Isn't that cool? Wouldn't you think that if you had built this, that you had done something pretty amazing? This would be like the thing in your living room, right? Your primary conversation piece furniture. If it wasn't giant and probably smelled weird. Uh, but you'd probably just sit and watch it for a while, right? Delighting at its perfect symbiosis. Watching it do its thing and be like, look, there's no waste. And it all just sort of like runs into each other, right? Um, well, I talk about this because in a teeny tiny way, this is probably a little bit about how God felt at the end of this first major phase of creation. Delight in an amazing, perfect work where one creature's waste becomes exactly what another creature needs um, to live. This beautiful symbiosis of creation. How, as Lauren Hill put it, everything is everything. An economy of life begetting life. It's delightful. And taking time for delight is the topic today in our sermon series on the Sabbath. Um, to be honest, I think uh, when I was thinking about this sermon, um, talking about delight feels a little bit strange to do at the end of a week where we've been reminded about just how undelightful the world can be. With tragic soul pain that comes with more footage of Black Death, I think that most people's inclination is either to go back to bed and put the covers over your head or get out on the streets and make every let everyone know just how angry you are. Both, I think, are appropriate responses to grief and trauma. But believe it or not, I think there, there is a third way. Delight. Now, delight doesn't negate the struggle that was or the struggle that we're in or the struggle that is yet to be. Taking time for delight is a way to step out and get a view from the balcony. Because if you do that, you might notice some things. You might notice the big picture of what we're doing, the things that you can't see when you are, are knee-deep in the muck and mud of life. You might notice that throughout God's acts of creation is wave after wave of blessing upon blessing. God creates the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, and God blesses it. God creates animals and people, and God blesses it. And then God does this other thing. God creates a day set aside for rest, and God blesses it. So last week, John unpacked the complex ways that we might begin to understand what rest really looks like in our modern context. So I'm not going to go there this week. But what I am going to talk about is what this rest, at least in part, should do or cause in us. 
Now, you might notice that um, God's energy in the first couple chapters of Genesis, while it's easy, kind of, while it's mostly directed toward toward creating things, it's also oriented toward enjoyment, delight. It can be easy, particularly in a culture that finds its value in productivity, to get so wrapped up in our doing that we forget what the doing is for. But God didn't forget, and God doesn't want us to forget. Because the recognizing and delighting of how our lives are intersecting and adding to something so much bigger than ourselves, this is part of what it means to be in a symbiotic relationship with creation. This is what a lot of theologians refer to as God's economy. It's an economy that runs on relationship and mutuality rather than productivity and consumption. You are more than what you do. The thing about taking time for delight, though, is that it's not a final state of being or that it's ignorant of reality. Uh, God being who God is, I think I have to believe that God knew all of what the world held in the future. That this perfect symbiosis where there's enough for everyone and no waste, that it was not going to last. So instead, think about this as a pause between chapters, a bridge in a song. A moment to step away and not only rejoice at what you've done, but also get a bit of perspective. I've done this much so far, and there's more to do. But let me just sit here and soak it in, right? Let me take a minute to appreciate what's happening. If you look at our passage today, you might notice that God does something different um, when creating humanity, if you read through from the beginning of chapter 1. The first line um, of our passage today is God created humanity in God's image, in the, um, in the divine image. And that's a, clu- a clue that we're somehow different from the other uh, created beings. Um, it means that we play, I think, a special role, a unique player in the project of creation. We kind of see that on unfold um, in the chapters ahead. We are partners with God in creation, exerting creative imagination and energy, which means that like God, we should take time to do like God, to sit back and see what we've done, to enjoy what we're part of. But at this moment in time, I think it goes beyond just delighting in the work that you do, or even taking a step back to appreciate the big picture. I think delight is also a form of sustenance sustaining our spirits, sustaining our commitment, sustaining our capacity to hold on to what is life-giving in a death-dealing world. Choosing to delight is a choice to cling to what is good. Choosing to delight is a choice to say that there is more possible than what we see. Now, I know many of you in this room I know that many of you are working in areas of care and concern where your professional life of teaching or caring for others in some other way can't be divested from your personal self. Or you can't maybe even not fear what this world is capable of because of the very real fear you might carry for yourself or for your child or a friend or a relative that someone you know could become a hashtag by the end of the week. I know that many of you are here attending this church that feels both welcoming and maybe a little ill-fitting from time to time because you want to be at least in a place and among a people who are trying to stand on the side of love with teeth and hope that doesn't flinch. And so we gather today in the growing shadow, the ever-growing shadow of hashtag people to be reminded that we're part of something much bigger than ourselves, 
to be reminded that we're created and infused with God's blessing, to be reminded that claiming the truth of these things is a way to refuse the narrative that all we see is all there is. And enacting that truth means taking time for delight. It's not about denial, and it's not about suppression. At a very practical level, at a, just a, the very sort of basic level, it's about mental health and wellness. Many of you were here in early July when I gave a little neurology lesson, which I'm totally unqualified for, um, talking about fear and the brain. So I'm going to revisit that discussion just for a second. Um, so there are these three different layers of your brain, but I'm just going to talk about two of them today. First, there's the amygdala. Uh, they think that's kind of the oldest, earliest part of your brain. Um, your lizard brain is sometimes what it's called. The most basic part of your brain that is tasked with the one job of keeping you alive. Fight or flight is usually the way people think of it. And then there's the limbic system, which is the second um, that part that uh, folks think uh, grew next. Um, and this is the part of your brain that creates emotions and the value judgments that you make based on your emotions. Um, in a lot of ways, it checks our amygdala so that we're not just like constantly freaking out and either fighting or fleeing something, right? It helps us determine, okay, like these people and these places are safe or trustworthy and these ones aren't. This means it also regulates your automatic nervous system. It informs your stress and your relaxation, maybe calms you down or kicks up your anxiety um, or an impulse that you need to have to, to go or to stay. Um, and so one way to think about it is that it works like a balance board. One of those exercise tools, you know, where there's like a half ball underneath, right? And so you stand on it, you stand on the balance board. If you're familiar with it, you'll know that it's really good for building your core strength. And the reason why it's good for building your core strength is that even if you're balancing pretty well on that board, you're still exerting energy constantly to maintain your balance, right? Your body is never really completely at rest when you're on the balance board. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, so then in a low-stress situation, a place and a circumstance where your balance isn't especially threatened, you're still emitting some level of energy to keep your um, kind of... Uh, body chemicals in check, right? Maybe the room gets a little cold and so your body has to work a little harder to make you warm. Or you had a moment where um, you saw that someone didn't stop at a stop sign, but you weren't at the intersection yet, so you weren't like in immediate danger, right? Well, in a similar way, um, when you experience repetitive social trauma, like microaggressions, um, you might be exerting a little more, like that's, that's more than just kind of passive, you know, background noise type of um, stress. So then you have, you have microaggressions. Uh, things like, you know, what standards of beauty or um, assumptions of, that you're straight or, um, you know, assumptions that you're a Christian, right? Or that you agree with my politics or whatever, right? So all along the way, you're kind of exerting a little bit more to stay balanced internally. Um, so that kind of kicks up the, the, that automatic nervous system in you. And then let's say um, you're on Facebook on Monday and you see this video you were having a good morning, right? And then you see this video of police surrounding a man with his hands in the air. Um, his, his hands are in the air, and then he's shot several times. Whoa, that's a big push to your internal balance board. And so your body and your psychological self has to work extra hard to regain a, some kind of equilibrium, right? Got to go to work, got to pick up my kids, got to make dinner. Okay, that was a big one. All right, keep it moving. And then you're barely recovering, but then on Tuesday you hear about the shooting of Keith Scott. 
And then the protest and the shooting at the protest. And you're just like wobbling all over the place, right? And trying somehow to keep, keep your head up, right? And it would be bad enough if this was just a bad week, right? But of course, we know that it's a series of bad weeks after a series of bad months, after a series of bad years and uh, decades and centuries and generations. Your emotional distress getting triggered over and over, drawing on well-worn pain, your limbic system kicks in at a higher level to do this work of creating balance and in an imbalanced system, in a ridiculously imbalanced world, and your system is created to kick in like this from time to time because that's life, right? To help you make it through the rough seasons of life. But what if the trauma never stops? What if it just keeps coming with every horrifying video or news update? If you don't step away from this repeated traumatic exposure, your system begins to function as though trauma is a way of life. This is post-traumatic stress disorder. And it's no way to live. It's a painful, painful departure from the good, blessed creation that God crafted so long ago, that God found deep delight and joy in. So I came across this post about self-care after emotional and psychological trauma. This particular post is about race-based trauma, but I think it could be applied in a variety of forms of trauma that people experience. And the suggestions include things like mindful isolation, disconnecting from triggering interactions or situations or spaces online or in person, community, Connecting with people who are empathetic and open that you can process your feelings with. Discharging energy, finding ways and safe places to exert physical energy or intense anger that you might have. Well-being, feeding yourself well, sleeping, avoiding toxins, breathing deeply, asking for help finding a support group or a small group or an intentional relationship or a therapist. This world is so creative in the ways that trauma takes shape. And so, Sabbath. Sabbath for rest. Sabbath for inspiration. Sabbath even for delight to step out, to step out of the constant stream of pain and step into a time and a place and a people and a space of restoration. Time to look and appreciate and celebrate and delight in the progresses that have been made in your personal life and even in the world. To cultivate gratitude wherever you can. To stop the steady cascade of fear and anxiety. To restore your body and your soul and your mind. Because you were created for good, for supremely good purposes. And you can't let this wave after wave of curse upon curse and anxiety upon anxiety stop you from being and living the blessing that you were created for. To restore your body and your soul and your mind because you were created to be whole. Not at the expense of critical thinking or being woke, 
but so that your soul can remain intact, hopeful, imaginative, joyful. You deserve to be joyful. You deserve to experience delight. And maybe the world makes it really, 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 really hard to do that. But you are still made for that, and you're capable of that, and you have to put yourself in situations where you can do that. To connect with others, to be human, to not get hard, to find places to love and be loved. Take time away for joy. Take time away from social media or television or spaces where you might find yourself unexpectedly triggered. Landmines you never knew were there. Find safe spaces to be inspired again, to be inspired again by God's vision of wholeness of life for all, for all, for you, for me in this world. This is what we try to do at church. Spaces to be free, to be restored, to flourish. Let us pray. God, we thank you that you created us to be whole and good and free. Help us to claim that freedom. Help us to fight for that wholeness. Help us to help one another live into a flourishing life that this world makes so hard sometimes to live. Help us to have eyes that look for delight, even when it seems like there is absolutely nothing to delight in. Because for as long as you exist, for as long as you are here, there is delight, somehow, some way. Help us as we fight the good fight, to stay fueled for that fight, and to love one another through it all. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.